Hey there. Welcome back and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Todd C. Slater, and we are set for an exciting 2023. I hope everybody came through the holidays, you know, healthy and, uh, you know, relaxed. I got to tell you, it's, uh, it's been an interesting end to the year of 2022 and all sorts of things making the news already for 2023. When we talk about investment, real estate, real estate in general, you know, foreign buyers, all sorts of stuff that's going on. Wow. I got to tell you, you know, sitting over the, the holidays, you know, I, of course, I'm always going to be, you know, working, checking the feeds and getting an idea of what's going to happen uh, for the future real estate. And, uh, you know, some of the perspective that has been given out is pretty interesting, to say the least. You know, I have to, you know, be very selective on how I talk about it and what language I get to use here on air. But more importantly, just to let you know, I do have somebody that's got a great opinion when we talk about real estate. Uh, joining me a little bit later is going to be Bryn Lackey. And uh, Bryn writes a column for the Toronto Sun. She also is a realtor. So, uh, you know, Bryn's going to kind of be the star for the first show of 2023 with me and looking forward to having Bryn join me. Uh, on top of that, um, just a quick shout out to our first responders. Uh, if uh, you haven't heard, we are having a very, very special uh, seminar webinar coming up on Thursday, February the 2nd at 7 p.m. right here at the head office for the uh, Simple Investor. And it is um, designated to really be focused on making it a little bit easier for you to be able to create a generational wealth, a little bit more security for your future. Uh, we have a new program that's going to be launched that night uh, that you can partake in. If you're a first responder, you'll be able to be able to buy investment real estate with only 10% down. And so it's just a thank you for everything that uh, you've done for us over the years. So really excited about that. You can go to simpleinvestor.com to, to register. Also, don't forget, you can follow me on Instagram, the simple investor one. And uh, we're going to try to give you as much content as possible in 2023. In fact, you know what? I've got uh, a new producer uh, and he's in the house right now, Aiden. He's going to be joining me and trying to trying to work up our, our social media a little bit more, try to give you more content, you know, because sometimes I get a little too busy and I forget, hey, by the way, I haven't talked to everybody recently. So we are going to focus on that this year. We're going to be giving you as much information, education as possible when we talk about just not just about uh, investment real estate, but real estate in general. You know, that's one of the things I, uh, you know, it's amazing when I look at 2023, I think to myself, holy smokes, how long have I been in the world of real estate? Uh, 35 years. And, you know, as I look at it, it's been, uh, it's been interesting. You know, I've seen so many changes, the idea of what real estate truly represents. And the last few years, as you know, if you've been listening to me on the show, you know, there's been, there's been a lot of changes, a lot more people, I think, believe in real estate than ever before. The idea of having a roof over your head, you know, that was one of the things that you've heard me talk about the pandemic and what it really truly secured was the fact that people needed a nice, safe place to live. And, you know, it ended up changing and people started moving out of markets. People have been working from home. There's been so many changes in the world, but yet real estate stayed tried and true. It was the one place people called home. And this is the thing about real estate is that I know, you know, being a real estate investor, you know, when you have a tenant, you got good tenancy, as long as you're a good landlord, good tenants, you know, when the two marry together, um, I think it's a very good relationship. And it's one of those things that we need, you know, we can talk about, you know, issues that people have as being a tenant, have issues with landlords, you know, 
there's a lot of people that obviously do the right things and we need more landlords, more rental properties, because as we continue to drive up the population here with new immigration, we're going to need, you know, more properties and there's no way the government's going to solve it. So, you know, today's rant, um, and, and I do thank a lot of my listeners and even my investors who give me feedback on my rant, but the fact is, is that sometimes, and, and, and you'll learn this throughout the year that I like to kind of go off on some of the headlines because I can't help myself. You know, when I listen to some of the BS that comes out here, uh, when, you know, people are just trying to gain headlines or the government's trying to make a promise that there's no way they're going to keep, then you know what? I'd rather just kind of blow it apart, give you my, at least my take on it. It doesn't mean it's right. doesn't mean it's wrong. It just means that, you know, somebody with, you know, 35 years in the industry is sitting there looking at saying, what the heck are you doing? So let's start off with the fact that, you know, the government right now is turning around and Ontario's new affordable housing act, um, housing bill will cut development charges. Okay. Let's talk about that because that's going to be one of those pet peeves for a lot of you that are trying to get into the marketplace and are trying to expect the fact that, you know, prices are going to go down. So we've got the provincial government saying to the municipalities, you need to cut your development charges. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but in the Toronto area, when they're developers building a property, they have to pay approximately $135,000 per unit uh, in development charges to the government. And so where does that money go? You know, I would, you know, I'd love to see the accounting because a lot of times the government, you know, quickly throws up the defense and says, well, you know, we need it for infrastructure. We need it for uh, plumbing. We need it for, you know, the sewer system, water, waste, everything. We need it for schools. Um, when we talk about infill though, I kind of throw a, a cautionary tale there. Yeah, we have to increase some of those abilities, but at the same time, are they truly incurring the cost? So there's a lot of money that I think some municipalities waste. And if they were a private sector, I can tell you that they'd be doing it more efficiently for sure. Now, when we take a look at the, the spin around to this is how many developers slash builders are actually going to drop the prices if the development charges get dropped. So when we talk about land banking, this is one of the things that you should be aware of that a lot of developers buy land with the idea that it's going to develop, you know, and, but this was 10, 20, 30 years ago, and they were just kind of banking it, sitting back saying, you know, one day we're going to develop it. So, you know, they bought, let's say at a hundred thousand dollars an acre and today it's worth 10 million an acre. Are they going to forego some of that rollover for the profit and, and miss out on that by dropping their price per unit. And these are the kind of things that we've got to be aware of. Now, a couple other things that are being thrown out that we have to be aware of, of course, is Toronto's vacancy tax. And I do want to talk about this one because this is a pet peeve of mine. And, and, and I appreciate that Meritory is trying to throw some more inventory back in the market. You know, you hear the tale of brand new condominiums, entire floors bought by foreign buyers. They're not turning around, occupying them. They're leaving them vacant. And the idea is that, you know, hey, wait a minute, that's that's housing. We need to be able to throw that in the marketplace. First and foremost, I think if you own it, you should decide what you want to do with it. I don't think anybody should tell you you need to become a landlord because I don't know if many of you have been landlords, but I can tell you it's not really a, as glorious as it seems. You know, it's not like you're making money hand over fist. In fact, when a tenant doesn't pay you for eight months, you know, you're eating the mortgage payments. So I know a lot of people are going boohoo. We feel sorry for you. But Honestly, the problem that I have with this is that you're forcing people into being a landlord. The other thing is, is that when you, when you take a look at it, what happens if somebody is in the middle of a probate of a will? What if they're in the middle of, you know, trying to do development or they're going to be knocking it down, worrying about drawings? 
it's going to put a lot of pressure on people. And unless you respond in kind saying, we live in here, we rent it, um, quite frankly, you're going to get a 1% of the actual assessed value charged to your property taxes. So, you know, let's pick on a million dollar house. So $10,000. Now, I'm sure a lot of you are out there saying, hey, wait a minute, Todd, if they can afford it, then why not, you know, why should we worry about somebody paying $10,000? The problem that I have with that is, is, is it not just because they can afford it, but how about, is it right? Should they have to pay it? I mean, you know, we've, we've got to look at things fundamentally here and say, just because somebody bought it and left it vacant, does that mean that they're being forced into another tax structure? Well, I think moving forward, this is going to make people be a little bit more mindful if they're going to buy and hold. And for those people that did buy and wanted to leave it vacant for a while, then I guess you're going to have to have some second thoughts. I just think that implementing it now after the fact, I would say that anybody buying moving forward, that maybe that's something you need to consider. So those are the kind of things that we got to take a look at. Um, by the way, speaking of buying and holding and forgetting about it, um, how about the fact that we've now banned in Canada? Canada foreign buyers, um, you know, for the next two years. So the foreign buyers uh, that everybody claimed were controlling the real estate market that drove the prices up, you know, it was interesting because, you know, I'd interview people and, you know, they'd be sitting there saying, oh, I heard that somebody walked up the driveway, you know, to somebody to buy their house with cash, you know, basically a briefcase of cash. Um, that's not how it works when we talk about real estate. And I highly doubt that that actually happened in, you know, 99% of the cases when a foreign buyer was involved. And one of the things that drove that marketplace back in 2016, 2017 was the threat of a foreign buyer. It wasn't even a foreign buyer. It was the mindset. So, you know, you've got your domestic buyer here in in Ontario sitting there saying, you know, well, we better jump up and, and crank up the price because we don't want a foreign buyer to come in under us and, 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 you know, overpay and make us, you know, lose the property. So there was a lot of that analogy happening. And so I still think foreign buyers are getting a bit of a bad rap. I understand that there are some cases where we talk about money laundering in the marketplace, but you know, you can't money launder just through a corporation. There's a lot of other people involved in that. So, you know, maybe cracking down on a few of the others, you know, uh, taking a look at some of the either shady mortgage brokers, lawyers, realtors. I mean, it's not just one avenue that created that problem. So if there's money laundering going on, and there is some, I'm, I'm sure that it's not in, entirely, you know, um, empty. But the fact is, is that if there is some, then there's got to be other avenues that have got to be imposed. So right now, if you are a foreign student, though, you can turn around buy um, property here. So that kind of makes it kind of funny. So so let's say you decide to send your kid from whatever part of Europe or, or Asia, and you send them here to go to school, you can turn around and give them a couple million dollars and buy property. Well, okay. So what did we solve? Not a whole lot, but I think it's a lot of bluster. And I think that that's what we're going to be fed this year is a lot of bluster. And speaking of bluster, of course, we're going to be looking at the, um, the interest rates with the Bank of Canada. You know, right now we are posed to probably see a 0.5 increase um, in January. Uh, you know, people have said quarter point, people said 0.5. Um, I'm going to lean towards uh, quarter point for now, and we'll see what they decide to do. And then maybe we're going to plateau. If we plateau, my warning to everybody will be this. Once we have a couple of meetings of the Bank of Canada at a zero increase, watch the market. The market will then have potential of starting to have a revitalization 
On top of that, my prediction this year, of course, will be that I think we're going to see some discounted rates. I talk about this all the time with my guests, but I think in the spring, we're going to see some, some discounts from the lenders to get people back in the market. But you know, we'll wait and see. Of course, this is just the beginning of the year. We're going to see a lot of activity. Uh, I am looking forward to my guest joining me in uh, a few minutes, Bryn Lackey. And of course, as I mentioned, for you first responders, don't miss out on that seminar coming up on Thursday, February the 2nd at 7 p.m. Go to thesimpleinvestor.com. You won't be disappointed. Uh, it's a great program. And you know what? It's a good way to learn a little bit more about investment real estate. I'll be back right after this. And welcome back. So my first guest of the new year joining me, no stranger to the show, returning guest is Bryn Lackey. And you know what? You can catch Bryn's column in the Toronto Sun. She's also a realtor with Chestnut Park. And welcome back, Bryn. Thanks so much. Happy New Year. Always good to have you here. And, uh, you know, I got to tell you, it's uh, it's it's a new year. I just, I just don't know if there's anything that new in real estate that we could talk about. What do you think? No. Um, I mean, there's a few things to complain about, but I think in terms of anything new, it's a bit of a, a groundhog day. Yeah, it does. It, it, it feels that way. So, um, you know, obviously lots of things unfolding with the government, having conversations about things like foreign buyers. What do you think of the two year restriction to foreign buyers? Um, I, I well, I mean, I think in theory, you know, I, I see why the government thought it was important to do it because we're looking at a housing crisis and we have really um, sort of growing, mounting unaffordability. And it seems great to sit there and point the finger at foreign buyers. But I think those who have actually looked at the data know that they make up such a small percentage of the buyers. And then when you actually look at the, the law, the legislation, there are so many loopholes that the people who are going to buy before, they're still going to be able to buy. They're just going to figure out their way in. Yeah. You know, it was interesting because, you know, I've, I've seen a few things on social media where people are, you know, bouncing back and forth about, oh, yay, the government's doing something. Um, you know, and I think those were those people that, if you remember back in, in 21, always thought the foreign buyers were walking up the driveway with a briefcase full of money, right? Yeah. And everybody thought that, you know, foreign buyers were buying like an exceptionally large amount of the properties. I mean, I will say that in Toronto, it's maybe not as impactful as I think people in Vancouver have a very different perspective on it. And I can't really speak to that because I don't, you know, I'm not particularly familiar with that market, but um, it's never just people walking up the driveway with oodles of cash. They're doing it through shell companies and number corporations. And that's still going to, you know, I think that will still continue. The people who could figure out how to get more than $50,000 out of China before, they're going to figure out how to do it now. Um, so in terms of it being a big, you know, a great big get for the government to show that it's working for us, I'm not sure that it's much more than sort of a performative thing in terms of actually addressing the structural challenges that make Canadian real estate so unaffordable. I think there's a lot more to be done. Yeah. You know, it was interesting because in, in the same mandate, uh, they had made, a, as you said, there's some loopholes. Loopholes being, you know, students. Uh, students can buy a place to live while mm -hmm. they're here. And when you think about it, I mean, if you've got foreign students, they're normally coming in, you know, with money. And the fact is, is that they can buy. So, you know, why not, you know, turn around and say, hey, hey, kids, we're going to put you up in a really nice place for a while. We're still going to buy. Right. And I think there have always been examples. We've seen media coverage of houses, you know, $12 million houses owned by an 18-year-old. You know, I think that there are still mechanisms that are going to be, even with all the carve-outs. I think in, the other thing that seems sort of obvious there is there seems to be a huge carve-out for investors to still buy properties. 
And that to me is sort of contrary to the whole, that's the whole game right there. If we're still allowing investors to do it, is that at the expense of end using Canadian buyers? So a couple of reports that were floating around and, you know, new condos that are going to close this year. So 2023, they're predicting about 32,000 condos that are going to be built. Yeah. Okay. Meaning completion, right? Which is, uh, which is a pretty significant number considering that we did kind of fail out in, in 21 mm -hmm. as far as construction due to COVID and a lot of, mm -hmm. you know, reasonable issues. Still 32,000. I still don't think it's going to help us with the demand. But there's been some insinuation about how many are actually going to be that have been bought by investors. But the funny thing is, is that I think people are forgetting the claim that investors will turn around and assign some of these, but mm -hmm. they're assigning them to end users. They're not mm -hmm. like investors don't assign to investors. Do you know what I mean? And so, so again, back to some of the headlines, you know, they're saying, they're saying, well, you know, 90% of these properties were bought by investors. Yeah. But if they've assigned it, that means an end users bought it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I actually saw one stat that it was 97% were investors. And I thought, well, I don't even know how you track that. Um, I think for the most part, yeah, they get assigned to end users. I will say that right now, even in my own business with my own clients, I have investor clients who are looking for sort of blood in the water assignment sales. So I think that that may shift around because right now the quote unquote deals to be had um, are for people who are locked into these contracts and may not be able to get financing. So that could shift around a bit, but ultimately it's housing, whether it's for people to sleep in, you know, own themselves and sleep in or rent from a landlord and sleep in, it's housing. So I think it's, you know, more housing is a good thing. Um, I think what we can sort of carve out of that number remains to be seen because it is reflecting such a huge backlog from the COVID shutdowns. Yeah. So <clears throat> just, just so we know, so, you know, you're, you're back to work this week, you mm -hmm. know, <laughs> a lot of, a lot of realtors kind of cruise through the holidays, but you know, are you, are you sensing any kind of activity or is everybody still on holidays? So this is totally anecdotal because the other funny thing you see, if you look at Twitter, you see people making, you know, drawing huge conclusions out of, you know, how populated is the mall parking lot? Like how close to recession are we if everyone and their mother is at Yorkdale today? Um, for me personally, I think that uh, the new year really happens when school goes back. I think that especially with my clients and the people I work with. Um, so I think it's still quiet. I think once the real new year begins, once everyone goes back to work and can put their head down. Um, so we will see what that looks like after the ninth. Um, you know, anecdotally, I've had three people pop up just in the last two days to say, hey, should we get going? Is there anything to see? And unfortunately, there's nothing to see. So we shall, <laughs> we'll see about that. Yeah, that, that's, that's one of the things, you know, um, when, when we talk about cycles of real estate and, you know, we've seen different uh, aspects of the cycle. So going through COVID and going th basically from mid 2020 to let's say last spring of 22, you know, I think we lost the cycle of mm -hmm. real estate, which, which is typically, you know, everybody kind of like dust themselves off in January, a little people start listing their homes. They start thinking of, you know, kind of a spring sale, which, you know, spring kind of ended up going February, March, April, closing sometime within the summer months, get back ready for school. I mean, that, that was our typical cycle in real estate for many, many years and decades, actually. Um, you know, could we potentially get back to that? I think, you know, I think that the last few years has shown how opportunity driven real estate has to be when you have an inventory situation. Um, we have low supply, we have low inventory. So, um, the rhythm is going to be determined by who decides it's go time. Um, I think a lot will be made over the sort of pent up, 
I won't say demand, but um, movement from buyers and sellers who have been trying to wait out the last six months when things got really hairy and uncertain. We saw what happened with pent-up demand just from the few months of lockdowns. I mean, obviously that was buoyed by interest rates, but um, I think at some point the people have been sort of standing by um, waiting for their moment, they're going to move because I don't think that life events just stop because there's uncertainty in the marketplace. So will, at that point, people who are already reticent to do anything in this uncertainty be willing to list, you know, on a Friday in uh, the middle of March break? No, I think we're going to go back to sort of the fail-safe um, checks and balances that, you know, you sort of have to produce success. And so I think we're going to see the rhythms return just because people are not going to be taking, um, risks right now. Yeah. With the, um, with one of the things that we took a look at in the market, obviously, uh, December uh, interest rate hike, uh, mm-hmm. one more time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought it was kind of bad form on the government's part, just coming into Christmas. Uh, you know, it, it pretty much set the tone for the year, seven interest rate hikes. Yeah. You know, I think, I definitely think, as you mentioned, put some people in the sidelines. Mm-hmm. No. And I, and I think that that was sort of, you know, not to be succumbing to the doom and gloom, but I think the smart place to be was the sidelines, to be honest. If you didn't have to make a move, and this is what I've said to every client, to, you know, people randomly at cocktail parties asking me what I think is that when things are uncertain, that's not the time to just be, you know, lily dipping your way through. Um, I think that ultimately, you know, life, life necessitates movement. And so you'll see some of that, but I do think that, you know, seven interest rate hikes, it's a lot in December. You also saw the guidance change from the bank of Canada saying, you know, from here on out, we're going, we're going to be data driven. So they didn't do much to sort of assuage fears that this is over. Um, we can hope that from here on out, if we start to see inflation numbers come down, that they're going to be looking at that and really acting accordingly. But I think, you know, in addition to it being just before Christmas that we had that rate hike, I think we also now know that this might not be over. Yeah. So, Brent, we're going to go to a quick break, but definitely I want to I want to come back and talk more with you. There's a few more topics that we've got to weigh in on, obviously, here in the new year. And uh, so, folks, uh, I'm going to have more with Bryn Lackey. And so stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. If you're just tuning in, my guest right now is Bryn Lackey. And uh, you can catch Bryn's uh, column in the Toronto Sun. And you also will find her as a realtor with Chestnut Park in Toronto. Um, By the way, Bryn, just before the break, you know, you and I were kind of, you know, peeling apart a few of the activities that have happened, obviously, in 2022. You know, record low transactions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, which is... Which is one of those things that you know when we when we observe real estate, whenever we start seeing a market run away, you see a whole whack of realtors come into the business, and you know it's kind of easy when everything's so heated. You know, um, I think it's going to be a real learning curve for people in 2023 on how to get business. You know, for yourself, you know, obviously you work with a lot of referrals, past clients, things like that. Um, but you know, taking a look at this year. How do you set up a year like this year? I mean, like it's, it's, it's all over the map. Yeah. I mean, praying, um, <laughs> you know, the irony is some of the top agents at my brokerage every year, they think that will be, you know, their own, their last successful year. Some of the top agents, January 1st comes and they go, oh, well here, let's hope we can do it again. Um, I think that in terms of building a pipeline, which historically has been what people in sales have to do, um, you didn't have to do that through COVID. You know, there was no pipeline. People are flinging themselves at you. Um, so that will be an interesting shift. 
the Toronto Real Estate Board also changed their fiscal year to you know, coincide with the actual calendar year. So we had all of our dues for the whole year due on December 31st. So, you know, whereas it used to be broken up throughout the year, we had a, you know, I paid a big bill and, you know, fine. But I'm curious to see what the attrition is going to be, like who didn't even bother to renew their license. I think that will be very telling. Yeah, well, that you know, that's to speak to some of the part timers that came into the business, just just to make those those few extra dollars, right? Yeah. And and you know, it, they they felt good about doing two or three deals. And and Bryn, you know this, and and so do my listeners that I'm a huge fan of full time realtors like yourself. You know, you you take this seriously. This is your career. This is your life. You invest in your business. You invest in your your clients. These are the kind of things that I think people should do. So I agree with you. It'd be interesting to see over the next month how many people do drop out just because they say, you know, why bother? It looks like the, the market's going to be pretty tough and they don't want to spend the time or the money to achieve, you know, even a, a modest goal. Yeah. I think coming up with, you know, $1,300 right after Christmas isn't fun for any, like nobody's keen to punch in their credit card number that day. But I think when you sincerely do not know if and where the next deal is coming from, it's actually not in your best interest to be, you know, putting out that money. Yeah. You know, I jokingly uh, talk to some of the brokers out there and I always say, so have you seen any of the uh, tow trucks in your parking lot to grab the, the lease vehicles? <laughs> you know? A run on G-Wagons. <laughs> well, you know, I'll tell you, <laughs> we, we, we've seen it before. I've been part of that, that lifestyle of some of the different cycles mm -hmm. where, you know, the markets had some issues in the nineties and in the, in the 2000s. And, uh, you know, I, I did see, you know, some people were saying, you know, this, this is not good. Bye-bye vehicle. And yeah. it's, you there'll know, be some deals on auto trader from I, those people I, who got I, their low rates. I definitely think so. I think, I think there will be deals, but the, you know, the one thing I don't know about deals, uh, one of the things that, um, you know, obviously talking to, to, you know, uh, some of the powers to be, uh, Toronto implementing the vacancy tax. Mm -hmm. Okay. I don't know how you feel about that. You know, I look at that and say, so they basically say, if you're going to leave your property vacant, we're going to charge you 1% per year of the assessed value. So let's say you're running with an assessment of 1.5 million. You know, when somebody turns around and says, well, you know, you're not allowed to leave it vacant. You have to rent it or we're going to charge you $15,000. I don't mind it. Really? Yeah, I don't. And you know why? And I know that's maybe controversial. I think that, I mean, sorry, the caveat here is presumably what they would prefer is those vacant homes, those vacant condos to be rental supply. Okay. And this is the, you know, the drama I bang on every single time I come here, the landlord tenant board until it is highly functioning. We should not be essentially strong arming people into being landlords. Being right. a landlord is fraught with challenges and there is nothing, you know, supporting you on the back end. If you have a tenant that decides they're not paying, it's still, you know, long after lockdown, still eight to 10 months to get a hearing. If you are going to essentially, you know, force people to be landlords or to sell it, to vacate those, those investment properties, then you need to have some support there for when they do so. So in that sense, I don't love it. Big picture though, I think that there are how many neighborhoods, you know, I can think of two houses on my street. No one lives there. Okay. You know? So, so, but why that, not? That, that's, that's assuming that we know everything that the owner's thinking, right? So, so let's just hypothetically say somebody decide to buy it and down the mm -hmm. road, they plan on knocking it down or doing a full rental, but they haven't gotten there yet. Maybe they're working on drawings. Maybe they're doing something, right? So, so what they're saying is right now, so then you're gonna have to prove your case. Cause if not, they're just going to nail you on the, t on your tax assessment mm -hmm. on the property. But 
not everybody's like, you know, you can buy a property, not, you know, not occupy it for a little while while you go through the idea of, Hey, look at, you know, yeah. we're working on design, we're working on this, or for that matter, we bought it because our, our, our kids are going to be going to university. Yeah. Totally. Right. Like, so, and, and you're right. Not everybody's going to be a landlord. Everybody knows that, you know, what I do for a living. And it's like, I'm telling you, you really don't want to be a landlord in a lot of these times right now, because no. as you said, the LTB is a nightmare. Complete nightmare. Hello. Nightmare. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so. I think they're overstepping their bounds here because I don't believe that this is going to truly bring to the market the number of properties they think it will. But yet they're looking at potentially, you know, I think, I think the number came in at somewhere around, you know, 60 million yeah. or, or so, something to that effect. Right. Well, if you start doing the division, that's not as many houses as you, th as you think. Well, here's, so I'm of a few minds here. Firstly, if you can afford to own a house at Bayview and York Mills and let it sit there and, you know, fine, someone might go mow the lawn once a month, but essentially have it crumble to the ground. Okay. So you owe what? $20,000 a year on that as a tax. Okay. Like to me, that's just going to, they'll just take, the, they're just going to take the fine. Um, will it incentivize the person who's just thinks it's, they're just going to sit there and let equity build and that will be that maybe I think it's such a small percentage of people who are actually doing that. Yep. And I think that there are obviously exceptions. So I will say that there are houses that are empty because Nana, it was Nana's house. We're waiting on probate or there is a court battle among the children. Like there are legitimate reasons for places to be vacant, but I think what they're trying to capture are the people who just have buy these things and deteriorate the quality of buildings in a lot of ways. Some of those buildings downtown, particularly around, um, I still call it the sky dome, um, Roger center. Some of yep. those, there are entire floors that are empty. And I know that that is sort of a cliche, but you know, when you actually look and they can, they can do this based on hydro usage, they can see the places that use zero. Um, that also has an impact for the people who bought a home to live in down okay, the hallway. So, so, so I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to bring up my rebuttal then. Okay. Kimmy. Okay. No problem. Okay. So, so I manage a lot of condos yeah. just so you know, and so I've got less use in my condominium, which means my condominium fee isn't going to have to overcome and take care of the property. Ooh, yes. Okay. So le like, let's take a look at the big picture. Yeah. I'll tell you, I'd rather be a condominium owner in one of those buildings than the one that has four people living in a one yeah, bedroom, trashing my hallways, be using my elevators to death, that's good you point. know, using the undergrounds for whatever's necessary. I mean, <laughs> yeah. no, seriously, like when, when, so let's think condominium owner, because yeah. here's the thing, those owners still have to pay their condominium fees. Right. Right. But they're not using them. That's a good point. I hadn't okay. thought of that. So then when we take a look at the pool, we take a look at the bowling alley, we take a look at all the extras that are included in these properties, they don't have the same wear and tear. So quite frankly, hey folks, if you want to know my opinion on it, I would rather have 50% of the a place vacant. Neighbor. Yeah, of course, because here's the thing. I'm not going to pay for their wear and tear. You know what? You raise a good point. I would much rather have a vacant unit than an Airbnb. Agreed. And, and so as long as it's not Airbnb and, and, and that's the thing. So if they're, if they're saying they're using them as short-term rentals, then I would kind of ax that, but I'm saying if it's no, I think truly right. empty, mm -hmm. then my, my condominium fees protected. I mean, yeah. So yes, I agree. I think that in, of all the things that could be done right now, I'm curious to see where they plan to allocate the revenue from this. And I'm, I'm sure they've explained that's the it. Thing. What, what pot's it going in? Yeah. I'd like to know it. Does it go to development? Does it go wherever? And I'm sure they've said, I just can't you know, new year's brain. Um, you know, if it is a revenue generating tool, say so. Yeah. You know, and that, that, you know what, I'd rather we tax the people who can afford to leave a $3 million house sitting vacant with weeds growing than, you know, uh, 
pull for development charges, all of those things. So if that's what it is, I feel like at least that's fine. Personally, I don't have a huge problem with vacancy tax because to me, if you can afford for it sitting vacant, afford for it to be sitting vacant rather, um, you can probably swallow that as well. But, you know, I think there are so many things at play in the city that it, it you know, <laughs> it's like slightly, I, I at least see the value in that as opposed to the foreign buyer ban that's banning no one exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, good point. Uh, and with that point, we'll go to a quick break, folks. When we come back, I've got more with Bryn Lackey, so stay with us. We'll be right back. And welcome back. My guest right now is Bryn Lackey. And uh, Bryn, you know, we've been having some fun um, over the last couple segments. And, you know, it's always interesting because well, I, I, I read your columns and, you know, I'm going to say 90% of the time I agree with you. And <laughs> so I just, so, so, you know, I'm, I'm giving you a thumbs up right now for sure. But, you know, there's always, there's always some of those naysayers out there that when, you know, headlines, you know, attract people that'll, that just want to contradict you. Uh-huh. Um, is there any big headlines that you've had a lot of people, you know, shoot back at you that just said, what are you talking about? I will say, so normally um, I get a lot of uh, spicy responses to my stuff, um, <laughs> just because I think real estate is one of those things that everyone's furious about. Yeah. Um, they either are you know, boomers who bought their house for whatever, and it's now a bajillion dollars, and they think everyone's complaining and being whiners because they had 18% interest rate, or you've got the young people who are blocked out, or you've got everyone in between. And then there's, of course, the general just complete hatred and loathing of realtors in general. So, yeah, I'm ready. Um, I will say that I did a column a couple of weeks ago about the home buyers who wanted bailouts essentially from the government, where I have never had people so like encouraging. And I got emails, I got lovely comments. I thought, oh, wow, okay. So we can kind of all unite around the fact that, you know, adults are adults and they have to stay adults and they can't always blame everybody else. Yeah. So, you know, when we talk about bailouts, the idea that anyone would turn around and say, you know, so you got yourselves into this mess. You know, if you went out and you bought and you over leveraged yourself, you know, you got into debt, you know, higher level than you should, mm-hmm. despite the warnings, because there was always warnings. It's not like, it's not like in 21, everybody said, yeah, interest rates are going to stay down forever. They <laughs> yeah. said, you know, you know, next, next 18 months, we can probably look at low interest rates. But there, there was always the part of the narrative that said, but eventually we're going to have to up interest rates. Right. You know, and I think, I think that when the blinders come on and people say, oh no, it's going to stay down forever. Um, you know, I think, I think there was this false sense of security that we had low interest rates. So when you take a look at it, you know, and you get some of the the people saying, yeah, the government shouldn't bail anybody out when it comes down to that. What I think, and really the people that are making the profit are the ones who should be bailing them out. And what I mean by that is the lenders, Okay. The big five banks, you know, every quarter through the last several years, they've been going, you know, higher profit, higher profit, higher Mm -hmm. profit. I mean, they've been killing it. So I think that, you know, they should be offering solutions to help people be able to still maintain their, and and, and I'm talking primary residents, you know, I think that they should offer solutions such as, you know, let's, you know, increase your amortization to 100 years. Yeah. Not, well, not quite, but you know, at least, at least increase it. So it takes a little bit of the pressure off Mm -hmm. or for that matter, why not for the next 12 months go interest only? Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so forget about some of the mortgage pay down, just stall your amortization and say interest only. So something that still, look, they're still making a payment, they're still being responsible, but ultimately, you know, they are, they should be on the hook too, the lenders. 
Well, and I think that they are. Um, I, I would say that I've not heard anything super, super egregious um, from any of the lenders, though there was a brief time where one of the banks was quietly just canceled portability. <laughs> you could not move your rate. And then outcry happened, and that um, decision was quietly canceled. Um, I think when I talk about the bailouts and just finding it infuriating, I'm not talking about the families who legitimately bought pre-construction in February for their family, had a house that was you know, worth X and they thought they could swing it. We don't have to get into the details of when you actually read closer. Some of these people that proceeded, you know, we're talking Uber drivers and stay-at-home moms. So it, why they're buying $2 million houses in the first place is like a huge puzzling quandary that we will, you know, it's the caramel secret. But um, I think when we're talking about predicting or preventing bailouts, yeah, if you're speculating, and the reality is when you look at the, there was an example of this par Paradise Developments, um, which was in Brampton and it was a developer and essentially they've slashed the price of the units. So someone who bought for 2 million in February, that same house is now being sold for substantially less by the developer. And that's what they're upset about. They're protesting. When you actually look closer at who's protesting, they're realtors, they're speculators, they put their money in um, and now can't get funding to close on it to begin with. And I think that when you're talking about real families, real people, Yes, absolutely. The lenders, you know, I think they have a moral <laughs> moral obligation to figure it out. Same as when you're trying to figure out how to keep people in their homes. People who have variable rate mortgages and their payments are shot up. And, you know, if they lose their job, if they, you know, cost of living has gone wild. I think those are things where the banks should be worrying. I don't know on what planet we should be even going there with people who, you know, thought they were getting rich quick. If the tables were turned and they bought for one five, and now it was worth two two, would they be offering back that profit they made? They wouldn't. And right. it's just absurd to me at a certain point, um, since the gold rush, you know, speculation, you can win big, but you can also lose it all. And I think we're in the, the lose it all phase. And I don't think it's widespread. I think we're talking about a very specific segment of very specific marketplaces. You know, the people who, um, thought, you know, it only goes up. And I will say, you know, I can even hear through the radio people screaming, no, no, they have terrible realtors. And I'm sure there are a lot of realtors even now who are saying it's a great time to buy. Yeah. You know, there are. At the end of the day, though, we still are responsible to have good sense in our heads. Yeah. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to poke the bear a little bit more. Oh, here we go. <laughs> yeah. Um, 2018, uh, government implements stress test. Yeah. Okay. So very, very little response by the lenders on that one. In fact, people turned around, they bought the year before or, you know, six months before from a builder, mm -hmm. okay, knowing that they've got a year, year and a half closing, okay? And then all of a sudden people had to requalify with the stress test in place. Yeah. There were people that qualified for way less. Yeah. They had to look at secondary financing, okay? I think that that is completely negligence. 100%. On, on the lenders, okay? So in my, in my opinion, in some ways, it's, you know, I, I still think that we need to hold them a little bit more accountable to give people, because right now we haven't seen that mass sell-off, right? We haven't seen people being pressured where, you know, you're not seeing power sales coming into the market. No. We're not seeing any of that. You know, could we see a little bit of that in the spring potentially? Okay. Some people get a little bit tighter than they thought, but where's the solution here? Well, you know, could we see that in the spring when you look at the 32,000, you know? 
pre-construction things that are going to be completed. I, I, of that, I wonder how many will have tr tr you know trouble closing. Those, of course, were done. Those deals were years made ago. years ago when yep. prices were you know some. Probably they're going to be fine, but we may see something there. Yep. Um, yeah, I obviously there it's nuanced. Um, I think the stress test for all you know for all the hating we did about it for all of the criticism. I think that's why we're not seeing sell-offs. I think that's has actually. Uh, stem the tide a bit and that's kept people in their homes and they're holding on, you know, by the skin of their teeth in some cases, but it's helped. You know, of course, the reverse of that is the number of Canadians in variable rate mortgages are substantially higher because as affordability waned and prices went up, that almost pushed them into variable rate mortgages. So that part we should probably, you know, take a look at. But stress test is doing its job. Um, I think lenders are, they, they're responsible to <laughs> To profits, they're, you know, they're corporations, and I think that this is yet another byproduct of, you know, we're looking at what capitalism does, which is beholden to shareholders, not to each other, right? Yeah. <laughs> and on that note, I think we'll finish it off. Happy New Year! <laughs> Happy New Year! Anyways, listen, Bryn, always a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks so much, and look forward to having you back. Thanks so much. Okay, thanks so much. So it was great catching up with Bryn and, uh, you know, I got to tell you, it, it's a lot of fun when we take a look and assess a year and then what's going moving forward. And of course, every, all the little prickly stuff about real estate, we can't forget, look, real estate is real estate. Everybody has some kind of investment in it, even if it's just an opinion and around the water cooler, I still think it's one of the hot topics and it will remain so for 2023. Um, speaking of 2023, you know, as I mentioned earlier, coming up on February 2nd, that's a Thursday. 7 p.m. Make sure you join me for our simple seminar webinar for first responders. That's right. If you are a first responder and you are worried about your financial future, we have a new release coming out with only $30,000 down. You'll be able to own investment real estate. So I'm really excited about this new program we've got. So go to the simpleinvestor.com to register. Make sure you are there and uh, it's going to be a great night and hopefully you can learn a little bit and we just want to say thank you for every Everybody, every, everything that everybody's done for us over the years as first responders. So um, I do want to also thank my team here. Uh, I've got Aiden on the helm with Omar as well as Ian Grant uh, at headquarters. And on top of that, I want to thank you. Um, last year, you did make us the number one real estate talk show. And hopefully this year we can do the same. So I will be back next Sunday as usual. I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010 Toronto.